One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to the first game podcast of the 2015-16 season. Uh, Did you miss us? Of course you did. And I'm sure you were all up to uh, fun things over the summer. I know for a fact Julian was busy throwing urine at uh, Chris Froome. Is that, is that correct? Yes, yes, me and all my family. There, there you go, there you go. <laughs> While wearing your berets and carrying baguettes, yes? Exactly. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and in the studio this week, as you've probably guessed, I am joined by Julian Lawrence, Stuart Robson, and Rory K. Smith. Welcome to a new season, gentlemen. And let's get straight into it. Cresswell making the run forward outside him. Coquelin hasn't been able to bring the ball away cleanly. Oxlade-Chamberlain couldn't clear either. It's Zarate. Oh, he's crept in. Check beaten at his near post. And West Ham have doubled their lead. So let's start at the Emirates, where Arsenal start with a defeat, just like two years ago against uh, against Swansea, when everybody was shouting Wenger out. But Stuart, nobody was shouting Wenger out on Sunday. They were just kind of... Kind of shell shocked, or maybe you were shouting finger out, but you were a minority of one. No, I mean uh, Arsenal didn't play at all well, and still the same old problems lie defensively. When the ball comes into the box, they were holding too high a line. There's too much space between the defenders and the goalkeeper. Arsene Wenger said afterwards that he, he knew before the cross came in they were going to be in trouble. So why didn't they uh, get a better defensive line? Why didn't they attack the ball when it came into the box? I don't think Arsenal are going to have a problem this season. They're still going to be there or thereabouts. I think it was a one-off game for them. They didn't. They looked tired. They looked as though they couldn't quite open up West Ham. And West Ham played very well. But I think over the coming weeks, we'll see that Arsenal was still a good side. I want to detour a little bit and introduce a concept. Somebody at some point, and I have no idea who, but maybe you guys can tell me, said that having Peter Cech is worth an extra 10 points in the course of a season. Everyone's trying to say something like that. Mm. Right. We, we haven't found sort of patient zero who we can blame for this bit of complete nonsense. I think maybe Christophe Lolichon, the oh good, the yeah, yes, yes, goalkeeping well, coach, yeah. might have said something like on French radio, something like, yeah, you, with him you're sure that he's it's, sent it's, 10 it's, to 12 points. Has Lolichon moved to Arsenal? No. To babysit Czech? What does he do? No. Does, he, does he live in Czech's house and secretly train him? No, no, but they're very close. They're still very close. What's Lolichon doing now? He's still at Chelsea. He no, was but at seriously, the he's not, not for long, right? Well, I don't think for long, but okay. I don't think he's going to come to Arsenal, though. Yeah. Well, the reason I bring this up, because I was speaking to one of those sort of analytics types, but it doesn't really take an analytic type to figure this out. 
on an average season, a goalkeeper will make something like 250 to 300 saves, right? Now, out of those, there are many saves that, you know, there's no goalkeeper in the world would get to, and others which every goalkeeper in the world would get to. Especially if you're on a good team, it's extremely unlikely that you're going to pull off enough amazing saves that it's going to be worth 10 to 12 points. It's just an absolute nonsense. De Gea last season did pretty well in terms of well, but the thing is winning that points for that the That is true, but I always think when that happens that it's it's treated as though that no other goalkeeper in the world could have saved that. Now, there were some brilliant saves. De Gea was the yeah. best keeper in the league. But it's not like the, it's either De Gea or you don't have a goalkeeper. It's De Gea or you have right. another goalkeeper who's nearly as good I, as David De Gea. I, I might suggest, actually, that De Gea last season, because, you know, we're talking, might have been a bit of an exception to yeah. what I just said, because United, I think, faced a lot of shots from good positions. But if you're the goalkeeper for Arsenal, you, you, you're not going to have enough opportunity, is, is the argument these people make. Mm. To, to be worth an, an added 10 to 12 points a season. It's just not going to happen because you're not going to face that many shots because Arsenal are a good team and you know there aren't that many more marginal points that they could gain. How responsible was he for the goals? Well, I see free kicks time and time again and I still don't understand and, and people always say, oh, well, you want to leave a lot of space between the goalkeeper and the back players so that the goalkeeper can come and attack the ball. But surely if you're a defender and the ball's coming into the box, you want to be running forward to head the ball. All the, all the coaches now get defenders to defend on the edge of the penalty box. The ball's played in behind. There's a great space to play that ball in behind. And defenders are now running back towards their own goal. And they don't always run back towards the goal, which Arsenal's defenders didn't do. So suddenly there's three West Ham players going to be first to the ball against Petr Cech. And if he stays on his but, line or comes for it, he's going to have a problem. I, I watch this on TV and they made the point like, at the exact same point you did, you know, the, the defenders were too high, blah, blah, blah. But surely the goalkeeper, especially a veteran goalkeeper like Peter Cech, he decides where he wants his defenders to no, be. No, the coach does it. The coach does it all the time. The, the, back, the defensive coach, the, you look at the players that are doing the, the holding up. It's the defenders. It's not the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper will say beforehand, the goalkeepers are wrong. This is where goalkeeping coaches and goalkeepers have too much say in what goes on. And how coaches have just followed everybody else and saying, you've got to get out the box, get out the box, get out the box. It just invites the ball to be played in between you and the goalkeeper. And you've got to be running back towards your own goal and try and head it. It's a flawed tactic. And it's not just Arsenal. Every team does it. I mean, but the high line is for is for the offside as well. You think that if the you know the opposition's leave a bit too early, they'd be offside. And it's also to leave that space for the keeper to come out. It's the, easier for him to come out. The space is too big. The space yeah, is too big now. It's easier for him to come out if there's no one around him than if the the box mm. is crowded with defenders and you know and, and attackers Are for you? the other team. And if I was coaching, I'd say they'd be marking on the penalty spot. And when the ball's coming in, now they're in a position where they can attack it. You could have a line of defenders. Uh, along the, the penalty spot and maybe two in front of them so if it's a ball that's whipped in low they can attack the first ball and the other defenders it can't be worse than it is at the moment where you yeah. keep seeing goal after goal after goal and chance after chance scored when balls are played into that area but I still find extraordinary what you said that you bring a guy in like Peter Cech who's mm. costing you between wages and amortization I think more than anybody on your team except for Mesut Ötzel he's a veteran he's one of the very best in the world and he doesn't get to decide or have input. Oh, he'll on, have input. 
But in the end, it has to be the coach that decides. If I was the coach... So it's Steve Bolt's fault? I don't know if it's Steve Bolt. I'm, 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 I'm talking about anybody, any club. Well, no, when, because I was, not, when I not, was coaching... Not every club defend and defend. If yeah. you're, you're going to say that the, the breakdown was, was, in, was in the line and stuff, I mean, not so every I, club I, defends. Most clubs do. But Stuart's yeah. right. Yeah, that is the orthodoxy. Everybody, that you yeah. see it an awful lot and you see it more than you used to. And it's because what happens in coaching, everybody follows everybody else. Yeah. So it's easy to say, oh, yeah, just get out the box, get out the box. And nobody actually looks at it and says, oh, there's one coach that I know that he's not coaching now, but he's a, he, he was the best coach I worked under. John, he thinks that you should defend those in-swinging free kicks like you defend corners, two players on the post, and and defend it that way. But the reason people don't do it is because is partly does it gives you the the benefit of offside, partly does it gives the keeper more space to run into, and also there's this fear that if you if you don't stand on the box, you shift play six yards mm. further forward. But then surely in that situation, and I'm not a coach, it's much harder for the attacking players to get any kind of power on the header because they don't have the... They're having to flick it on. Yeah. That's, that's what they're doing. It's almost like a flick. At the moment, everyone's saying, this is the way you should do it. Mm. But it's not succeeding. Mm. Time and time again, I watch games and say, here's trouble. The ball's going to be played in there. Arsene Wenger even apparently said it. Here's trouble. And the ball was played in. Too much space between the goalkeeper and the back players. Back players running back towards their own goal. Some of them don't run back towards their own goal. Kawati gets there first. You have to wonder, just to finish on that, such a, a Chelsea would have probably never come out for that ball like he did yesterday. Mm. Because John Terry would have, would have because he it. knows how strong they were on set defending set pieces. I think he may he may he might have realised at Arsenal since joining the club that they were maybe not as strong defensively on on set pieces, and he felt maybe I should go for that because if I don't go, no one else will get I it. I think that, that you, you you can't absolve Czech completely of blame. It was a very poor piece of judgment it to was. come out for that. It was obvious. It it was clear that he misjudged his run. He mistimed his run. It it was poor goalkeeping. But there there's maybe a deeper structural just issue. One last point on on that. If we should do an entire podcast if, just on how you defend set pieces. If, if the, def- if the defenders are defending that little bit deeper, there's not the space to hit the ball. So they have, the cross has to be higher. Then the mm. goalkeeper can come and catch it. But if yeah. there's so much space, that ball can be whipped in. And he couldn't come because it was a really well-played ball yeah. in. On the second goal, despite the deflection, I thought Czech let himself down a lot by his standards. Did, did, yeah, he kind of weirdly didn't. I mean, he, he, got his, he shifted to his, to his left, I suppose, first, didn't he? Which was to try and anticipate the shot from Zarate. I think the main surprise for all of us was that Zarate's shot was on target. Mm. Um, <laughs> and that's a mistake. But then it, it was kind of, yeah, weird that he didn't kind of... He didn't look like he really extended himself to get it. I don't know whether he felt he couldn't. But it wasn't, it wasn't right in the corner. No. He kind of seemed to go for it and then think, nah. But also because the deflection, I think, took power off the shot as well. So I, I, I was kind of... You know, but that should have been in his fa- in his favour. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. no I, I, that was very unchecked. Like, to, wait. So you, you say Lodichon's definitely not coming. I know. I don't. I, I, Sorry, I don't we, we should take a step back. Well, assuming everybody knows who Lodichon is. Lodichon is a tall avuncular. I think is a word. Um, oh, good not, word. No, he's not avuncular. Lodichon. You don't you don't find him avuncular? No, he's kind of a vibe of a vivacious character, isn't he, Christoph Lodichon? During games, but he's not. I don't know if he's necessarily avuncular. I'll bounce to Julian's French number two. Well, he's not. He's not that old. He's what early fifties. Avuncular doesn't yeah. mean old. Yeah, it tends to imply old. It means gentle and grandfatherly. Avuncular. Well, From that's why he is. Yeah, he is. He is very classy and and nice. I and and well, well, he's grey hair. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not a grandfather. No, <laughs> no, probably not. not but anyway, so, yeah. this guy is kind of like. Peter Cech's guru, right? Yes, I think yeah. they first met up at, at, at Ren. He came over. I don't think he came over straight away no. at Chelsea. It was after a few years. Mm. He has he has unorthodox methods. He's extremely unorthodox. Um, he plays with a lot of imaginary balls. Yeah, some man, some Chelsea managers don't like him at all, but they recognise that 
he, but Peter Cech loves him, and he makes Peter Cech what he is. I, I'm just curious if I don't want to make it seem like this guy's Peter Cech's guru or something, and he's got a chip implanted in his brain or something. But Cech tends to be a better goalkeeper when this guy's around. So that's why I was curious. Well, yeah, why, I mean, also why I have, didn't Arsenal? They have already a you know goalkeeping coach. What's his name? Uh, Jerry Payton and, and Arsene Wenger is very happy with him but they also have about 10 goalkeepers have so maybe Jerry Payton have the goalkeepers always been happy with Jerry Payton I don't know that maybe okay, not let's not pick on Jerry Payton here we don't even we don't know who the guy <laughs> was until, uh, until a few minutes ago but no, but I'm, I'm, I blame Jerry but that was, Payton that's a couple I, of the problems that the Arsenal goalkeepers have had and that's been some of the things that they've said they've not I, been happy with the goalkeeper. I, I am curious well there's other goalkeepers who've worked with Lolly Sean who haven't been happy with Lolly Sean mm. because you know goalkeepers are a strange bunch but I, I am curious though I, you're going to spend all this money on check maybe make sense to yeah I, I, think, I honestly I don't I believe, think that Chelsea would would be super disappointed you know to yeah I know I think he's on a roll year contract as well early on Chelsea so I think he's going to be free soon because his contract is not going to be uh, renewed renewed sorry but I do I do think Jerry Payton is, is a good goalkeeping coach and if Wenger thinks he's good enough for Sedge and Ospina and Martinez right now then I don't think he will go for Lolichon if he thinks that he needs well, an extra... Well, why can't they have two goals? I mean, how much do these people make a year? I mean, but, yeah, but, but the thing is, if Lolichon has been... Because of his methods, you can't... No, he, but what I mean is, well, you, could, you could bring Lolichon in. Yeah, no, because this is the thing I always find I always find interesting. I know, like, uh, in other sports, you've got people who have their own sort of personal, you know, uh, coach. Usually it's a physical trainer. I mean, at Roma, like, Totti has his own guy, and he goes and he trains with him, and, you know, kind of, there's another dude who does the stuff, or two other people, actually, who do all the fitness stuff for the rest of the team. I'm sure if, you, if, you, if you're going to make such an investment, you want to make them as comfortable mm. as possible. And if Lolichon's methods are so unusual that they were great for Czech, but maybe less so for the other people, I don't think Lolichon would make so much money that Arsenal couldn't afford to no, for sure. pay Lolichon to work with Czech and then have your mate Jerry hang out with the, the with Ospina and, and the rest of the guys and Martinez yeah who's going to coach Martinez that's the bit that's a question on all Arsenal fans lips these days or even Martinez <laughs> the, the the other big thing to come out of this game was uh, uh, a precociously young tall uh, center back stroke cent- central midfielder starting midfield for West Ham and we were we're lucky because we have a precociously a guy who used to be a precociously young uh center back stroke center central midfielder I played in the in my debut was at seventeen. I was a bit older, seventeen and a, a couple of weeks in the same game, but it was at Upton Park for Arsenal. And you didn't win two 0 We won two one, but you weren't man of the match. Uh, that depends. Well, on well, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about well, that. Can, can you just give us a tiny bit of insight? I mean, I don't know Reese Oxford from, from from Adam, right? I right. although I've seen his tweets. His tweets suggest he's an Arsenal fan. Somebody yeah, retweeted like these old that. tweets, like. What's it like to? I, I mean, think if you can... a bit, it was a bit different in, in when I was playing. But the the first thing I knew I was in the twelve because in the, when I was playing, we only had twelve players, once uh, eleven players on a sub, and I was in the twelve, and that's all we were going to take to up to my. I took the train from where I lived at the time, South End, and I pick up the back of the paper and it said public schoolboy because I went to a posh school. He's going to make his debut in the East End or, or a Cockney Derby. It was called. So suddenly I thought I might have a chance of playing. I turned up at the um, where we had our lunch, was picked in the side at right back, which I'd never played before, to mark Alan Devonshire, who was then one of the key players. In front of 36, it was a, it was a full house, it was going to be on television. So the, I didn't have any nerves in some way. It was, it was bizarre because I didn't have the build-up. I was told only two hours. I knew I was in the 12, but I thought I'd be sub. I was only told a couple of hours beforehand. 
Um, so I didn't have particularly great nerves and I was very confident in myself in, in those days. So I was quite happy going into the game and I had an experienced player in front of me, John Hollins, who was twice my age at the time. I had David O'Leary, who was an experienced player playing at right-sided centre-half. Uh, and we played very well um, and we did a good job on Alan Devonshire who was a key player for West Ham at the time but, so I, I can see exactly how he would have felt going into the game but he looks a confident player as well he's, he's been marked out for stardom for a long time Reece Oxford I remember I, was, I can't remember what, who, who they were playing it might have been Everton and they wheeled him out in that very they don't, clubs really don't really do it anymore but they, they set up a desk on the touchline at Upton Park and wheeled him out to sign, to sign his first professional contract which was a really nice kind of you never you, you, that used to happen all the time. That you, well, you, same, mm. happened, same, same happened with me. Yeah. Um, but you don't see Terry Neal was the manager at the time. Yeah, you yeah. don't see it now because they're frightened of exposing the player yeah, too yeah, early. Yeah. But what Slavin Bilic did say some very good things. He cannot play. I got in the team and I played every week, and it caused me massive problems three or four years later when I got groin problems, back problems because I, I, my body probably wasn't ready for forty. 50 games a season for for four years as a 17 to, to 21 year old he says he's not going to play every week he's developed he's not a 19 20 21 year old he's got to be picked at the right time his body's not quite developed even though he's tall and strong it won't be developed for uh, regular football at, at that sort of level so he's got to be watched very carefully really weird though West Ham's because West Ham have had probably the worst pre-season any team has ever had they mm. nearly lost to a team from Malta, representatives of the strongest, yeah. t- strong, the in inverted commas, strongest lead in the world, where every team can beat every other team. Nearly lost to a team from Malta, and I, I don't want to sort of impugn Maltese football, but I'm guessing that's not a great thing for West Ham. <laughs> They've had all these players sent off. They look completely dishevelled. Bilic has had problems. Then they go to Arsenal and win. Thor- I mean, uh, any en- win any well. result, no one would have seen that coming this weekend. Nobody. I defy even the most. Well, I, I thought it'd be four 0 to Arsenal, and it- but even the most rabid Spurs. Spurs fan couldn't have seen West Ham going to Arsenal and winning. No way. Not or even w- most rabid Hammers fan. Well, they're, they're a much more, more realistic bunch than Spurs fans. The Spurs fans probably wanted West Ham to win at, Spurs, win at Arsenal more than the West Ham fans did. I, I, I kind of think it's probably a bit of an exception. You know what I like about Reece Oxford? Sorry, I saw him playing with England in the under-17. Did yeah. you do that? The yeah. under-17 European Championship, which, which France won, by the way. And, and he played well. It didn't, it didn't look incredible. You know, he... Yeah, he played well. He didn't look fantastic. Played but he looked, half, didn't he? Yeah, that, that guy. but he looked like he was, he was the boss. And I thought yesterday on Sunday, sorry, he looked like he was the boss, although he was only sixteen. He asked for the ball. He shouted on people who, who you know, mispassed the ball. There's a, there's one chance they showed you on match of the day as well, where you know he went, he got the ball back, and Sako got the ball, and and he, he followed his. Continues his run and Sako lost the ball and he was not happy with Sako and shouted at Sako for not passing him the ball. And when you're 16 and you're you know you're able to to voice and and be so commanding, I think is 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 a great quality more than his height, more than his vision, more than everything else. The hardest thing, if you're a centre half, which he mainly is, yeah, the hardest thing is to go and play in central midfield because when you're playing at centre, everything's in front of you. You know, don't have to worry about your awareness in behind. You just you see runners and you go with it. When you're playing in midfield, the game is much much quicker. It gets played around you, but he seemed to show good composure, mm. good awareness of what was going on around him. So that was the good part from from Reece Oxford's point of view. Sigurdsson. All picked up by Shelby. He clips that one over the top and Gomez is in. Goes round Courtois and is taken down. Michael Oliver gives the penalty and he's reaching for his pocket as well. And Courtois is going to be in trouble here. It's a straight red card. Chelsea and Swansea, the champions. It finished 2-2. I guess the big talking point was the Courtois sending off. There's no issue. It was the right decision. Was anybody 
Oh, you're making well, a face. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, 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 no. So, interesting. Because no, so, so they said on television that he got a spot on. I was there. I think it was a red card. But I think I can understand why Mourinho felt that Cahill might have been in, in a position to cover. I think it was the right decision. Well. You could see why Mourinho maybe thought, well, in, in, a, in, a, in another circumstance, it could have just been a yellow. But I, yeah, for me, it was the right decision. But the biggest problem with that, again, is the, it's not the goalkeeper's made a, a poor error, but the two centre-halves. It's one ball over the top, trying to squeeze up for offside. It shows a flaw in Chelsea defending at the moment. Yeah, but if William, if William is not... But the two centre halves, if you know that you've you, you can't just just turn your back at us out there, he doesn't count. You've got no, to make sure no. you've got to see runners, you know, what's I, the situation? I've got to get several back in. The William thing, this is what always gets me about you know, you compare it to, for example, sports in the US where mm. after the game you can actually go and speak to the players, you know. Crazy mm. concept. I wanted to ask William, William, what happened? You know. Because I I don't know why he was there. He and covered for Ivanovic, no? Did yeah, but that's fine. Push but, up a bit and then mm. he covered. But you can push up back. a bit and cover. You're still supposed to do it in coordination with the other defenders, right? And I would and I, and, and maybe there's a very valid reason he why he was off. where he was, right? He switched or, off. Or he maybe he switched off. Switched off yeah. But I don't know. But I would love a situation where, in all serenity, we could ask William, William. Kipasol, what happened, right? But this we go. I'll and go back no, to. and the guy said, if he says I switched off because I'm human, I made a mistake. That's fine. If he says, look, you know, I, I was tracking him, and this happened and that happened. That's fine. You know, I, I don't understand when we left here to sort of speculate that this and that. Like, you know, the dude made, something broke down. It's not a big deal. It happens, right? Absolutely. But again, everybody believes. You know, I, I hear people talk on the on, on TV. I hear people talking in when they talk about back fours. Uh, the fullback should never be behind the centre halves. Whoever said that? You see, people that are actually saying this don't understand the theory of holding a high line, dropping off at the right time. Is he gonna, are we going to make him name names about uh, who says this? Well, lots, of, <laughs> lots of pundits do. Lots of name them. Name well, them. Say, they're never coached. And I, and I, so I, 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 I played. <laughs> I played once at right back, and David O'Leary was, it was on your against Wolves. No, it was against Wolves, and they had a good winger, and they kept on hitting big diagonals out. And as the bats it, David O'Leary and the other centre, I kept on running up for offside, and I had to be in a good position. And I went in at half-time and said, this is just ridiculous. You know, how can you try and play offside? But the coach went, no, no, you've got to run up with them. Just unbelievable. And I still see it happen. I still see it. How can a fullback be on the cover? You hear people say now, and coaches say, everybody say, fullbacks uh, need to be round on the cover. Well, you can't be round on the cover if you're standing mm. five yards in front of your centre-halves. You can't be round on the cover in that position. So it has to change. The theory of defending has to change. It's still all wrong. Right. But usually the theory of defending, I mean, I, as far as I know, in other countries, this is the only country where, where I've heard people have that discussion. I mean, it seems that like in a lot of other places, people have kind of figured out how to define No, I think I think I mean people I like Arrigo Saki, he was the one that knew the theory of defending. He was the one and other people take it on, but they don't quite know why they're doing it. They've heard they've, they've watched an Arrigo Saki video and say, Oh yeah, what you gotta do is squeeze up and you push across and you keep in line, but they don't actually know why they're doing it. The other basic point too with the fullback is that the fullback can look across the entire back line, right? So obviously if he's further up but he, if he, he can't if the do center, that, if the centre halves r run up at the last minute, he can't react quickly enough to that. And he's not used to, you know, it's William we're talking about. Mm. And I know Mourinho made him improve a lot on his defensive duties because that's what Mourinho's wingers do, apart from Eden Hazard. But if the guy was there, right back, he probably had like. He doesn't, have the, he's, he doesn't have the awareness. Yeah, no. And I think he tracked position. back to start with. Yeah, then the ball's been up. gone the other way. So now he's looking 
And suddenly the centre-halves think, oh, well, I'm not going to defend the space in behind. And he's caught out. And to be fair, John Joe Shelby has, like, all the time of his life to do that pass. And, and there's no pressure ball. from Matic and Fabregas. And I think the whole game, Matic and Fabregas were either tired or something, but they, they never put pressure no. big, enough. Big problem for Chelsea is Fabregas. It happened at Barcelona. They, they weren't defend. sure where to play him. He cannot defend. And if he plays in a two alongside Matic, and I watched it in the when he went back from number 10 to a normal position in the community shield, Arsenal's midfield just kept on running off the back of him. He doesn't want to defend. It's a major problem he for Chelsea. He was a Premier at Arsenal as well. Yeah. That, you know, he was playing in that two and... Can't defend right, I, think, I think you guys are being kind of mean about Cesc Fabregas. <laughs> I mean, didn't he? He did all right with with, with Gilberto Silva, no, and Patrick Vieira, no. Well, yeah, no, no. I mean, I, mean, I, I just think, that, I think, I just I think, think he was more determined to defend in those days. All right, and he had other good defensive players around him. All right, we, we, we're going to stop this criticism of Cesc because it's making me uncomfortable because some of us actually like the guy, and <laughs> I want to throw this forward to this business because. Right, I was say, oh, we're picking on Mourinho, but it is pretty extraordinary the business with Mourinho and in and Eva, uh, Eva Cordero, the Chelsea's doctor. It wasn't just yeah, Eva. It was. It was. The, 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 there's two people who are on the pitch. There's okay, Eva. Can you can you describe the situation, please? Right. Stamford Bridge, a balmy summer's evening. Um, <laughs> August eighth, twenty fifteen. What time was? Uh, what time would it be? Like seven ish. Um, a man with salt and pepper hair and a, and a surly disposition screams at a woman and a man. Basically, Eva and the, the other doctor went on the pitch. As Hazard, Hazard went down, Eva and the other doctor went on the pitch to treat him. And Mourinho felt that that was a lack of, in quotes, understanding of the game because he, dis- he felt Hazard's injury wasn't serious. As soon as the medical team go on the pitch, they de- the player has to come off and then return to the pitch, which meant that Chelsea, for at most a minute had, instead of 10 players, had nine players, only eight outfield, which he felt was both a blow to their attacking intent and put them at risk defensively. So he shouted and screamed and raged at the little sort of scene unfolding in front of him as it happened. I think initially Hazard felt he was he was being shouted at. Yeah. It later kind of... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Urged that Eva and the other doctor were being shouted at. And you saw it on TV as well, and you heard it from the press box because the press box is yeah. so close to the benches. And Mourinho, he, he said he, he, compl- he made the complaint on, in the TV interview, and he then re- reiterated it in the interview that he does for the Monday newspaper. So it was obviously something that he, well, looked like it was something that he genuinely felt. You can never tell with Mourinho. I'm not sure whether he was using it to distract from the fact that he was unhappy about the performance of his team. There's a chance, and this is pure speculation, he could have actually been shouting at Hazard for going down too easily, but then decided it was better to pretend that he'd fallen out with his medical team than it is to pretend he'd fallen out, than to sort of say he'd fallen out with Hazard. I don't think it's serious. I don't think there's going to be a raft of sackings at Chelsea and sort of Eva's going to be out and replaced by someone who, who looks to Mourinho for the nod. I don't think it was the medical team's fault. I think if the player goes down and demand and asks for medical attention, the doctors have to go on. He looked pretty hurt. I mean, 
he looked. He looked like he was. He was the end of the game. I think he got kicked a few times in the game. He looked like yeah, you, you know. He looked like he was the end. You make the point though that he's just like, oh, I could tell from experience that Hazard was fine. <laughs> he did say that, yeah. <laughs> was, he is. He, it was he so is weird. Such without, a weird story. And it's dangerous because as soon as you start getting into this, it's all you, you. It's either you're kind of lionizing Mourinho as a Machiavellian genius, or you're you're criticizing him for being some sort of dastardly scumbag. And it's neither. It, he did sort of implicitly criticize Hazard for going down too easily. Mourinho has been spending the last. 12 months saying that Hazard we need to protect Hazard Hazard get kicked out too much and when he's on the floor Mourinho said oh, I, hey just get up and get on with the game I don't understand why he went and talked about it after the game though like the, the, that's the part I don't get because obviously yeah, you guys could all see him screaming I'm sure you asked him about it and he could have just said oh well oh, yeah, no. yeah, yeah. you know just something that happened in the course of the game yeah. you know not important and move on and then if you really have a problem with Eva or with Hazard then you take them aside and you read them the right act in the dressing room but it just seemed curious to me to, to, well, to bring why, this into the public domain. That's why you get into the thing about w- w- with Mourinho, and it's it's not. It, I don't think it's reading too much into his actions. But you always wonder with Mourinho, why is he doing something? Is he trying to deflect from the game? Yeah, how poorly mm. his team played. Or in, in this case, is he trying to deflect from the the implied criticism of Hazard for going down too easily? By saying, by kind of overcompensating and criticizing the medical team. That's it's the like when he had a go at the fans last season. You know when he had that. Yeah. Incredible rant at his own fans saying like ah oh, they're not good enough blah 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 and then apologize and he's going to apologize in three days time saying ah oh, you know it's shouldn't have yeah, yeah shouldn't have shouted at Eva and you know the other dude and to talk a little bit about about Swansea and, and Gary Monk because we sit here and we, we talk about you know the the annual miracle that renews itself at Swansea and just how it's a, an extremely well run club I I thought Jefferson Montero just was. Hmm. Man of the match mm-hmm. for me. Um, I gave him man of the match, and well, I was right, struck good. by how last season he seemed to be sort of intermittent, and how another club might have said, "Meh, you know, maybe you know we're paying this guy a good amount of money. Maybe we 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 move him on or whatever." But you know, they looked at him and said, "You know, we think year two is going to be better. We think there's going to be a settling, and that doesn't happen very often mm. because we often write people off." Got a lot of players in those positions, haven't they? You've got Dyer and Routledge. So they, when somebody has a little bit of a form, if Montero goes off the ball, Routledge comes into the side. The same on the other side, Dyer. They've got a lot of players that can play in those sort of wide areas. It was injury and, as well with Montero last season. He had a lot of sort of niddly little injuries that that sort of delayed his momentum. So I wonder if Munch thought, right, if you can have a full season going at it, you can show what you can do. But one on one. Not many better winners in yeah. the country. He's ruined one player in Callum James, isn't he? Yeah, yeah Arsenal. You know, who was who was in the England squad as right back. He got in front of Nathaniel Klein, got absolutely murdered by Montero at the two-one defeat. Never and really recovered. Did the same to Milner at right mm. back for City. And who do you think's trickier one on one, Montero or? Sorry, and Andre Ayew as well. No, no, it's not about all about Ligue 1, but Andre Ayew I thought was really good. No, he was really good Brilliant. on Saturday. Let's be yeah. you know, he was really playing, also on the, playing, on yeah, playing on the opposite Let's side. Yeah, playing yeah. on the right hand side. But you know, Chelsea's fullbacks, Aspilicueta and Ivanovic, I think they they could be in trouble this season. Aspilicueta did okay next time. Aspilicueta also okay. came from Ligue 1, of course. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so of course. Had a great spell at Marseille. Ligue 1, best league in the world. Full yeah. stop. <laughs> Ivanovic went to Paris on a, and visited uh, the, the, the Louvre uh, a few years ago. Really? Mm. Yeah. Mm. French connection there. Yeah, Pretty yeah. obvious one. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, you like, do you like to make a point about Swansea? Yes. Gary Monk went to Chelsea with Keyson Young, who, by the way, is also an excellent footballer, yeah. and John Joe Shelby in central midfield. No holding midfielder. Dropped Jack Court. Key went off injured after 40 minutes, so he had to bring Court on, and Court did really well. 
but not many not many coaches will be that brave to go to Chelsea without a proper holding midfielder. This you, do, you don't think he is a, is a holding no, I think midfielder? No, I think he's more attacking than a na- than a natural holding midfielder. He can play there, but he, he, his first thought is to go forward. But Monk said afterwards that the reason he did that was to send a message to his own players to say, right, we can go to these grounds and we can play. So quite a courageous thing to do, not it to is. shut up shot. For, for he'd obviously decided if we get beaten, we get beaten. Season starts properly next week, but to, to use that occasion to say to, to say to your own players, this is a place where we can go and do our own thing. I think is incredibly praiseworthy. Right, moving on to our debate for uh, for this season. It's obviously it's our first podcast of the season. This is I don't want this to be sort of the free form thing where we just talk on forever. So I want to get your predictions in and out of the way. I'm going to start. With Julian, your predictions for the top four, please. Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester United, and Manchester City. Yeah, that's imaginative. Those, those, that, that, that's my four too. It's my four as well. I'm afraid it's my four as well. <laughs> you realise that those great debate, lads. Let's move on. <laughs> no, no, but it's interesting because those four clubs are the only clubs to have won the Premier League in the Premier League era, except for that other club that's now in the Championship. The the, crisp, the chicken club, the crisp, uh, the yeah. crisp chicken. Oh, sorry, chicken. yeah, Benkies. Yeah, right? it used to be crisp, but. No, what? Jack Walker. No, he's, he's not a he Chris guy. He doesn't no. own Walkers. Walkers. <laughs> no, that's Leicester. That's Leicester. It's close enough. <laughs> so the, the, baffled by, I was baffled by that. I had no idea what they were talking about. Uh, I, I, no, Julian would get it wrong anyway. So. So yeah. the, the only issue with these four is, is the order that they finish yeah. in, right? Yeah. Mm. Anybody think Chelsea won't win the title? I, I did go for Arsenal in my pre-season predictions for the paper. Just to wind up the, Theoretically, I should stand by. I think they, <laughs> so I, what happened? You just said it was... Chelsea were going to win it, and Arsenal no, second. When? No, I, I said that. I said the same four. Right. I didn't yeah. mean the same. Oh, order. sorry. I think Arsenal. I think Arsenal could win it. I don't think Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea certainly won't have it as easy as they did last season. I do you guys presumably think Chelsea will win? Then the two. Yeah, I do. I think Chelsea will win. I think. What if Chelsea don't buy more defenders? If they don't sign Baba or Stones or, or some other dude, are they we win. really looking at like Nathan Ake coming in and? They will sign more players. It's, it's not that they need to sign players, and they're in quite a tricky position because Mourinho, Mourinho likes keeping that first team so solid and so consistent. That if they sign Barbarman, then they have w- six defenders will, like they had yeah, last but, season. But will he play? Does he want? Does Mourinho, if, if Aspilicueta's fit, he showed last season that he'll just play Aspilicueta every game. Barbarman comes from Augsburg. He does. And if he comes, he'll get a big wage increase. He'll get to live in London. I don't think the guy cares if he spends one season at Chelsea, plays or not. He's still mm, young maybe. enough; he can move somewhere yeah. else. That's yeah. not. Plus, Terry's a year older as well. well that's at the some issue, level, you're going to have to. At some point, and it's not happened yet. There's no signs of it. But at some point, John Terry's going to go, and it maybe it, there's no sign of it yet. But it could be this year. It could be next year. It could be five years time. But at some point, he's going to go. Final question is: Who's going to retire first, John Terry or Totti? I think or both Totti. of them will outlast sure, Bruce yeah. Forsyth. Yeah, I, I, I imagine they probably will. Um, Relegation? Uh, Bournemouth, Watford, and I'm going to go, not just because of their performance on Saturday, I think Sunderland are a team that have been on the brink for quite some while. Not a fan of Dick, huh? Uh, no, yeah, I think Dick Advocara's, Dick Advocara's <laughs> done a good job over the years, but <laughs> on that note, um, but I just think Sunderland have got problems at their football club. It just seems as though over the years they've just scraped through. Uh, they've got a lot of players that have been there for quite some while that uh, someone like Lee Catamore who they keep saying is their leader and their inspiration I keep seeing him get booked and not play particularly well they're a club on the on, on the downward spiral I think, I think you've made me laugh Jab uh, I think I went for Norwich Leicester and Leicester Bournemouth 
but I've got to admit, and it's, this is that stupid. So I'm going to stick with them because otherwise it makes a mockery of the whole making stupid predictions thing. But I do think Sunderland potentially have a problem, and I also think that with Bournemouth, there's been this this whole kind of. Eddie Howe's great, they play great football, it's all wonderful. We've all kind of bought into the romance of the story and it has been a wonderful story, but you do just wonder whether Bournemouth, whether the, the romantic story may not have a happy ending. Because you look at Bournemouth's squad, I'm not sure that... it. I found, found it strange how everyone's just sort of said, oh yeah, Bournemouth will be fine. Will they? Is there any evidence of that whatsoever? Who, who said, who that? said that? that is, that's been the general kind of tone of a lot of... I think when people want Bournemouth want to be sorry. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that they came top last season, that they were the best side in the Championship, mm. everyone says, well, they've got a better chance than the other two. But the other two, well, Norwich have got players that have experienced the Premier League. And Getting Watford relegated have, in the Premier League before, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. And Watford have spent uh, quite a bit of money, mm. so you don't really know too much about Watford at the moment. To be fair to Norwich, they... They kind of got jobbed in their game this weekend against Palace. Mm. I mean, they, mm. they play with a better side. Definitely, quite, yeah. quite some, <laughs> some, some crappy refereeing decisions as well. Mm. When it the Cameron Jerome high foot was ridiculous. I mean, it was, that basically outlaws outlaws volleying. It does. It's well, extraordinary. It was, I don't know. I, I think that referee needs a talking to because it was not. It was no good stuff for the referees no. in the Premier League. Well, but everybody praised Michael Oliver, right? Yeah. Oliver, Oliver did well. Thought Oliver did well. Your, your relegation candidate? I keep Bournemouth. I think Bournemouth was there. Really? I really do, yeah. Despite the fact that these, these players who I'm not I think they made good signings. I think they, they were very clever in the way they did their business. Really? Yeah. Maybe um, sorry, can, a, you, can you just ask me? Well, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not being I think funny Max Allen Grader is going to score goals. I think this you, 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 you think Max Grader can, is, yeah, is going to be a difference cool. maker? Yeah, no, I, th- yeah, I think he will do well for them, yeah. Based on... Depends on the fact that he's a good player, that he knows the league, that you know he's been uh, he's been very good since the since winning the African Cup of Nations. No, I think he's going to he be a good. He knows the time. league. Well, yeah, he's played, he's played for Leeds before he plays in England. Before he, I mean, he knows the football here. Not the Premier League, he doesn't. No, not the Premier League, but I think he knows the, the football. Premier League is the league of late goals. Yeah. <laughs> it's intensity. <laughs> True, but no, I keep them up. I think they stay up. I think they surprise people. Oh, we used to call it the league of late goals. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Go. When was that? <laughs> Watford, Norwich and Sunderland. Interesting fact, actually, before 1992, in all of foreign football, no one had ever scored after the 80th minute. I always imagine that there's usually somebody who we think that, oh, because they, they did relatively well last year, we, we kind of forget that they start this season from zero and things could go really, really badly for them. Oh, yeah, they, it could. And I, just don't I don't think know, I, I would throw out somebody like West Brom, for example, Tony Pulis never goes down, Gab. That's written into the yeah, exactly. It's in the Magna um, Carta. And the other thing with, I'm not saying just because down Pardew, but so many people are on the Palace bandwagon because of the way they finished the season, and obviously they made great signings over the summer. But I just wonder, like, it's still Alan Pardew, right? He still has horrible runs. He still has issues with people, and then he goes really, really well again. I think it's really interesting with Palace that you're right. There, there is definitely a bandwagon, and it, signing to buy a huge statement of intent. Great, great sort of coup, but then he s- comes from Ligue 1. Also from Ligue 1, but then you exactly. you see um, that Damien Delaney is still in their team, and you think, all right, maybe we should all just to use the 1990s term, take a chill pill. As promised, it's time now for some quick hits. It took a peach of a late Coutinho goal for Liverpool to take the three points at Stoke. Brendan Rodgers called it quote an outstanding collective performance. Ollie Kay, writing in the game, begged to differ a little bit. Rory. Are you more in the Brendan camp or more in the Ollie K camp? 
it wasn't an outstanding collective performance in the sense that it wasn't very nice to watch, but I think that there were certainly positives there in, in, the, in terms of the solidity of the team, in terms of the, the, the way they resisted Stoke, although Stoke didn't actually really land a glove on them for vast swathes of the game. It was very much, it looked like a first game of the season, uh, but I think in Lovren and Sturtle, the way they, they performed, there are signs that Liverpool have improved in that area. I mean, I wouldn't say they're going to be title challengers. Lovren was actually okay the last four, obviously apart from the 6-1, but Lovren was okay when he came back into the team end of last season. He did all right, did all right. Okay, enough Liverpool chat. Kyle Walker's weird own goal means Tottenham go down to defeat a United. Uh, Stuart, it wasn't a great game from a neutral's perspective, um, but did you see anything in Tottenham's performance to suggest that this season will be better than last season? When, I remind you, they finished fifth. Uh, I don't think they'd be better than last season. I think we saw some good closing down. They made it difficult for Manchester United to play. They went there with confidence. But I still don't think they've got that real creativity. Um, Harry Kane, they're going to rely very much on him. Ericsson, his creativity. I think they're going to end up fifth or sixth again. I didn't see anything in the performance. I think that's going to get into them into the top four. Maybe I'll actually give Moussa Dembele uh, a, a run and, and let him make a difference this year. Uh, higher up the field. Dembele yeah, quite often plays as a holding midfield player when he plays. So says, play him higher up the field. That's where he played for Fulham and that's where he was dynamic for Fulham. Tottenham's opponents, Manchester United, had Sergio Romero starting in goal and uh, no fewer than three senior keepers, Davi De Gea, Victor Valdez and Anders Lindegaard, hanging out together on the bench. And if those, for those of you who didn't see it, you should see it. There's a great picture of the three of them with Roy Hodgson sort of like kind of photobombing in the corner and uh, <laughs> in the director's box well yeah Victor, on the bench yeah and Victor Valdez is wearing everybody gets to wear sort of the club outfit Victor Valdez is wearing some <laughs> random blazer <laughs> which I thought was uh, was, was kind of fun have you seen the picture of Chantal and, Chantal and Bamba turning up for the Newcastle game in the tuxedo yes yeah. amazing amazing Victor Valdez kind That's of went good. for a more lounge yes. version of that yes more but more to the point is Romero who of course played in Ligue 1 yeah, uh, good enough, or did he sat on the bench? And he got, is he good enough to keep going for United? Now, the reason I go back to this is a brief statement people who don't quite know this, and you really should know this, but he's a starting goalkeeper for Argentina um, at the World Cup, at the Copa America. They went deep in the tournament. But the dude at club level, he couldn't get off the bench at Monaco, and he couldn't get off the bench Sampdoria. at Sampdoria last year. What's the problem with him? Is he good enough? We don't know. No one knows. No one can, say, can tell us now, yes, he's good enough or no, he's not, because he hasn't played club football for two years. So I think he deserves he deserved the chance, because I think you know he's, he's a good goalkeeper. But if he's good enough or not, we'll have to wait a bit more and see. Because well, We didn't play club football because he wasn't good enough. It's not as if... Well, like, yeah, he was not good enough for Sampdoria, not good enough for Monaco in the last two seasons. Is and the good people who beat him United? out were, were Subasic and, and Viviano. And Viviani, it's not so like he had not like Courtois and, and Noria, yeah. yeah, as you said. So, you know, I think he deserves a chance, though. Everybody deserves a chance, and then we see. But no one can say now if he's Will good United sign another keeper? If the hair goes? Yeah. Should they? They yeah. should? Yeah. And they will? Yeah, they will. And won't I mean, be Sillison, I'm, right? You know, it's just, if they're listening, just, there's a good French... Uh, It'll be, yeah. yeah, but it can't be Sillison. Why on earth would they go and sign Sillison? I, 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 listen, the Sillison thing is... It's is, just uh, weird. It's, it's just it's, it's Manchester United. If, Man, if Manchester United sign, sign Jesper Sillison, that would be the weirdest transfer it of be the good summer. Yoris. They're signing Goliores if their hair goes. Does that explain maybe a little bit why he wasn't in goal for Spurs? I don't know, but the, the great thing Spurs did is putting him on the bench so he could have a bit of the atmosphere. Mm, yeah, this is a good stadium. <laughs> I would like to play here. Nice, nice red shirts. Yeah, yeah, why not? Everton are held by Watford. 2-2. Rory, you can either praise your mates, the Pozzos, or you can comment on Roberto Martinez and Colin Martinez and uh, talk about his complaints about Stones being tapped up by Chelsea. Your call. Uh, I'm going to go for the Watford thing. Well, they're not the Pozzos, although they've obviously been very busy in the transfer market. I, I'm interested in Tite Sanchez-Flores, who is one of the... He's the victim of perspective. Just, so Tite Sanchez-Flores kind of 
fails in inverted commas, like Valencia and Benfica. <laughs> and, and then he comes to the Premier League and everyone knows, oh, well, he's not good enough for Watford. He, he couldn't take Valencia into the Champions League or win the, you know, the Portuguese title with Benfica or whatever. That's, that's not the same thing as being able to say that he can't survive in the Premier League. The Premier League's not that good. Uh, I think they've got a good coach. I think they've signed some good players. They have signed too many players. I think they'll be okay, Watford. Speaking of newcomers, uh, Bournemouth are edged at home by Aston Villa, 1-0. Stuart, I find it very difficult to tell if these guys have any chance of staying up, mainly because I didn't watch the championship last season, and I'm unfamiliar with many of their players. In fact, I think I know more people who work for the club than I do players. What did you learn from Bournemouth in their match against Villa? Well, I'm the same as you. I haven't seen too much of Bournemouth over the last couple of seasons. But what you did see was that they played good football. When I mean by good football, they passed it well, but they also passed it with penetration. They created opportunities. They played at a decent tempo. They tried to win the ball back. And they dominated much of the game against Aston Villa. But they had a problem when the ball went into the penalty box. They didn't take their chances. They didn't uh, get on the end of crosses when they came in. And, of course, they gave away a, a sloppy Oh, it was the the set the, the ball came in. Gestern was good in the air, but he wasn't really challenged. It was an easy header for him in the end. So they had a problem in both penalty boxes. Up until that point, they looked a good side. Are they going to be strong enough to stay in the Premier League? I don't think they are. Newcastle and Southampton battled to a two-two draw, but George Calkin, who was there, said he felt a buoyant atmosphere, and presumably he's referring about Newcastle because he could presumably cares less about uh, Southampton. Uh, Julian, is that down to the inspiration, inspirational leadership of one, Steve McLaren? I'm not sure how much he inspired them. He couldn't even make the phone work between the director's box <laughs> where he was watching the game and the bench, so he had to go down. But, you know, he brought more energy and more organisation, I thought, at the back. They defended, you know, quite well, I thought, despite considering two goals. But it must be a change for the fans and, and the players to have a real coach there instead of John Carver, who's a, who's a lovely man, but not really a coach. Uh, Marcello Bielsa walked out of Marseille on Saturday night. I, I can't decide, Gab. Is he a genius or a fraud? And bear in mind that whichever way you answer this, people are going to shout at you. Exactly. Um, I can't quite decide either. It's one of those things where you you wonder, a bit like what you pointed about before with Mourinho, where you wonder, like, is this part of some sort of calculated plan, this behaviour and the way he acts, or is it just the way he is? I thought it was extraordinary to go, to decide on Wednesday you're going to quit, supposedly, to then act as if nothing happens because you don't want to interfere with the game, to play the game, to lose the game, to then go in the press conference and ask, ask and answer all these stupid questions, you know, run-of-the-mill post-game questions, and then at the end say, oh, by the way, I'm resigning. And you're supposedly doing it for out of respect for the media, who no doubt are cursing you at that point because you resigning is a much bigger story than why you lost to Khan. I, I, I find it absolutely extraordinary. But Julian, I, I want to get you in this way. I get the sense that Bielsa was actually very convenient for Marseille because they, you know, they, they let six starters go. They replaced them with a bunch of duds and people like Lasana Jara, who didn't play last season, and Abu Jabi, who I don't believe played last season at all, and a bunch of no names. And and yet you knew with Bielsa there'd always be a full stadium and enthusiasm would be the story. So I guess this feeling some people have spun the tale that maybe. Marseille were kind of taking Bielsa for granted a little bit. Well, I don't, I don't know because he was part of the the recruitment this summer. You know, they bought the players he wanted, like like well, he wanted Diaby no, and Diara. That the, they're the only two that the club <laughs> offered to him, and he said yes. And he, you know, he even spoke to Lasana Diara to convince him to come to Marseille. But sorry, Javier Monquillo, <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. Lasana Diara was in Moscow at freaking Lokomotiv, where he didn't play a single game. Presumably, the man was unemployed. He's thirty years old. 
with all the love in the world for Lasana Diara, are we really to believe that he had millions of other offers? Yeah, the few, yeah, the few other offers, yeah. That were more appealing than Marseille. Yeah, that were more well paid than Marseille, for like example, what? more money. Like what? Well, he had a few things in more exotic in leagues. Yeah, yeah okay. I, right, I believe that go. even in yeah. England, I think some people right. were were interested in him. So you know, so he was really part into the summer. It's not like if you know they. They, they didn't involve him, which he felt was the problem last summer. And he had to go at the, the chairman back in September saying like, you know, I, I, I gave him a list with players. He didn't sign any of the players I wanted. This is unacceptable. And we thought at that time he, that he might quit. But instead, he gave it a good go. They had a, a very good start of the season. Then they crumbled up in the last four or five months of the season. They finished fourth. The objective was in top three, they finished fourth, but it was still, you know, it was still great, I think, for Bielsa to be there and for Marseille to have Bielsa. I think the two were perfect for each other, but you knew from the start he would end up like that. You knew he would end up in tears, and it's exactly what happened. I think two things. One, they were surprised of the timing, because it's, it's, it's a wrong timing, let's be honest. Two, he You might said, say it's Pulis-like or O'Neill-like. Yeah, exactly. He says that, so on Wednesday, the Wednesday before the game on Saturday, on Wednesday he had a meeting with... The, the people at the club not the chairman but other people at the club they tried to change the contract he had agreed with the club they, they tried to change clauses and details of that contract minor details according to the club yeah. chairman were the club saying actually that he Dave's going that the club <laughs> the club felt prisoner of his request that he demanded stuff that you know, were too much. So I think one day we will know the truth because right now we don't really know. Labrun, Vincent Labrun, the master chairman, is using uh, some media friends to send his message through the press and Bielsa is using some people as well to, you know, to put his side of the story out. So we don't really know right now what happens, but I think it's a real shame for French football that he's, that he's gone. Smart money suggests he could be in for the Mexico job. October hey. 10th, Mexico and the US. Big playoff to uh, qualify for the Confederations Cup. You know that thing England never playing? Yes, that's the way to hurt English football, Dan, to remind him, to remind him that it's never in the Confederations Cup. It's all sour grapes, isn't it? <laughs> so what was the answer? Is he a genius or fraud? Yeah. Um, Maybe he's a flawed genius. Honestly, Maybe. if you judge based on results, his results are just really terrible. I don't see how a team can... They had 41 points in the first 19 games last season, and they had like... 26 in the yeah, next 19. Yeah, but um, not, he's never, he managed, he coached Argentina at the 2002 World Cup and he managed not to get out of the group stage. Yeah, he did uh, fine with Chile, took Chile to the World Cup, but then the minute they go to the round of 16, they play somebody serious like Brazil in 2010, they lose 3-0. He's won two titles in the last like 25 years. One is it was in 1998 in Argentina with Vélez Sarsfield. And, you know, let's face it, Argentina, like there's a lot of rotation. And the other one was the gold medal at the 2004 Olympics. Something else England won't be winning for a while. Many, many thanks to my guests today, 67% of whom uh, went to non-state schools. That would be Rory K. Smith, Stuart Robson, and Julian Lawrence. I'll let you guess who the uh, who's the state school government-funded guy is, and obviously it will be the French guy, obviously. Now, we're back every Monday now until the season's end. Uh, you can press that subscribe button button if you like if you haven't already uh members will get exclusive football rugby and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription and if you're not a member yet you can take our one pound digital trial today just search times sport online and hopefully we'll be with you all season long uh through the autumn through the winter a lot of winter and uh and then the spring as well right up until the summer take care <laughs> bye-bye <laughs>
Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. What? Why did you name all of the season? <laughs> Why do you think? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.